we're done with the armor of the Lord. And so we're going to start a brand new series this, this week, a four-week series, uh, taking a look at some key principles in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this because I love the book of Proverbs. And so today we're going to have kind of this brief overview of the series uh, of the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at the, uh, our first principle this morning, which is the fear of the Lord. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at three other principles, uh, and we're going to see how we can practically apply them in our lives, what it means for us. We're going to look at what Proverbs talks about money, about decision-making, and friendship. Now, there's a lot that Proverbs talks about, and it would be really cool to do like a 8, 12, 20-week series and go over each one of these principles, but we don't have time for that. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to read the book of Proverbs yourself over the next four weeks. Take, you know, one chapter a, a day or every other day and read the book of Proverbs all the way through so you can get and understand and at least look at the uh, principles that is laid out in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is one of the books which is called a part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, which encompasses the book of Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Psalms, Proverbs, and James. Those are uh, part of our wisdom literature that we have in the Bible. And uh, Proverbs, in most of this genre of the literature, it kind of screams out this like practical, day-to-day living, what we need to hear. And Proverbs has this really unique approach that I really like because the writer instructs us and he invites us in to live uh, what is right, what is fair, and just living. And he does this not in this real direct way that you can read other parts of the Bible and it will say like, do this or don't do this. And what I love about Proverbs is it doesn't necessarily uh, use the direct language, it uses more like wit And for me, I really like this. It draws me in. So instead of saying something like, don't be lazy, the writer of Proverbs would write something to the uh, effect of, as a door turns on its hinges, so turns a sluggard on its bed. This is the kind of language that is used. So it's really great. So if you're having a problem with your your teen and stuff or or you're 20-something or 30-something living in your basement, you know, what you can tell them is instead of don't be lazy, you can say, did you know, as a door turns on its hinges, so a slugger turns on its bed. And they'll look at you and be like, what are you smoking, dad? What are you talking about? But I love the writer because he, he'll go even deeper than in areas like, like about, let's say, laziness per se. He'll, he'll say, he'll say uh, to the effect of a lazy man is so lazy that as he's eating from his bowl, as he dips it back down, he can't even bring it back up to his mouth and he falls asleep. And so just the writer of Proverbs just uses illustrations and symbols and it's just really, really great read. And so I want to encourage you, read it. Uh, Uh, the whole book as we go through this series. But we're going to unpack some of these uh, phrases and uh, uh, principles that is laid out before us as we go through this series. Sound good? Cool. So, yeah. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, One thing to note, though, as before we begin, is the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. That if you do this, then you'll get that. 
the book of Proverbs, and most of the wisdom literature, uh, uh, you find a lot of principles laid out in there. It's, it's a right way to live. God wants us to live right, fair, and just. And so it instructs us on how to live. And really, the book of Proverbs is kind of like a course on living right. If you were to ever go take a course on living right, this would be a great one to do, is the book of Proverbs. So let's open up, if you got your Bible, or you got your iPhone, or you got your eyeballs, we'll have it up here for you. And um, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, pretty much all of Proverbs can be summed up in this first uh, seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. So let's look at this right now. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now verses 2 through 6 here, this is the purpose of Proverbs right here. It is for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And in verse 7 here is... Uh, Kind of one verse that will sum up the entire book of Proverbs in one verse, which is, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, what I, uh, let's take just a moment just to look at this verse. There's three people that are laid out in this verse. There's the wise. Well, I guess there's four. But there's the wise, there's the foolish, there's the simple, and there's the young. We don't see the young near as much as the other three in the book of Proverbs. But what I love about this is that it's kind of something for everyone. So whether you're young, this is really good stuff to learn and how to live right. Or if you're kind of foolish, it's good stuff to have. Or when it talks about simple, it doesn't mean uh, like slow or uh, intellectually uh, dumb. What it means by simple is naive. Uh, that you need instruction, that you're kind of someone who just kind of goes with the flow. Like, I put my sail up and I'll see where life takes me. That's more of the way to view the simple. And then the wise is the wise, right? But what I love about this is it says, hey, if you're foolish, you need this. If you're simple, you need this. If you're young, you need this. And even if you are already wise. So even if you're coming in here this morning and you have a depth of wisdom and you have a depth of years underneath your belt and you have a lot to uh, uh, your own character, uh, he says here, let the wise listen and add to their learning. That here the book of Proverbs is something for everyone. We can all open up the book of Proverbs and we can easily take something away. So, uh, as we go back to verse 7, we're going to springboard off of that into the rest of the sermon this morning, which is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. How many of you in here, you don't have to raise your hand, you're a little foolish. I'm a little foolish at times. I'll be the first one to admit uh, especially when I was younger. Okay, how about this? When you were younger, how many of you were foolish? I mean, there we go. It's like, yeah, right now I'm wise, but 10 years ago, I was a total fool. <laughs> we all can look back or we can just look at our life right now 
and know whether you've been foolish or not, or whether you're living foolish now or not. And I, I, I think of one story that, you know, I used to kind of live a, a little more foolishly than I do now, even though I make plenty of foolish decisions now. But uh, I remember this one time that, uh, you know, fools despise instruction and wisdom. They, they're like, yeah, the heck with it, right? Like, I don't, we don't need wisdom. And I remember this one time, uh, we had a family reunion in Virginia Beach, and uh, I personally don't like the ocean. I think the ocean is terrifying and terrible. Now, there's a big difference here. Hate the ocean, love the beach. You know what I'm talking about? Hate the ocean, love the beach. The beach is great. The ocean, uh-uh. It's scary, and there's things in there that want to kill you and eat you. And, and so here we are in Virginia Beach, and we're having a really great time, and We've never been on a surfboard before or anything, didn't know how to surf. And we kind of got all this instruction on what we were supposed to do and how we were supposed to do it. And now, you know, we kind of listened uh, to how you get up on the board. But then all the other, like, safety instructions of don't go here, don't do this, don't do that, it was like, who needs it, right? You just go out in the waves and you jump up on the board and you go. One of the key pieces of information is, is what you need to know as a surfer is the sign is if there's a shark in the water. It's like rule number one is a surfer, apparently, which I was like, who cares, you know? But what we were as younger, you know, teenagers, we didn't really know is that near the waters of Virginia Beach was all these bull sharks. And bull sharks are known to be some of the most aggressive sharks, more than a great white shark. And so there's these bull sharks there, and uh, as they're telling us all the safety instructions, now listen up, kids, there's bull sharks, they'll eat you, they'll hurt you. And all the, the rules around it, it was, you know, in one ear, out the other. We didn't really care. So here's this one time, my cousin and I, we find ourselves in the water, not knowing what to do. And we're in uh, all this, like, uh, fish, little fish, like a whole uh, 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 colony, or what are they called? School. Yeah, thank you. You're listening. <laughs> a whole school of fish are, like, swimming around us. We're like, oh, this is really cute. There's all these little fish around us. And as we're kind of like talking and chatting and just not caring at all, we all of a sudden notice no one else is in the water. We're like looking around like, where is everyone? It's like high tide or low tide or whatever the good surf time is, right? And then we, we look out and everyone is on the shore, every single person. And there's like lifeguards, you know, we're like looking at it and they're like blowing whistles and... And, you know, there's people, like, giving us, like, the, the shark sign that there's a shark in the water. And we're like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I kid you not, from, like, me to the front row, from right here, we're on our board, here up comes this dorsal fin, right? And it starts swirling around us. And it, like, took us a moment to realize what was happening because we were really foolish and then we're, my cousin Luke and myself, we were like, OMG, right? There's a shark in the ocean, and it's right next to us. And so here we are, like, flailing and paddling to the shore, and we get to the shore, and everyone, all the, like, you know, locals and the lifeguards, you know what they said? How stupid are you? Like, you are so foolish and and you're so naive. And so we didn't surf the rest of the time. And so there was born my fear of the ocean. The beach is great, the ocean is bad. But we all, uh, at plenty of times in our life, we forego instruction and we live foolishly. 
But God doesn't want us to live foolishly, and especially things that are far more important than knowing what a colony or a school of fish is and when sharks are swimming around and stuff, but to live right in the eyes of God. And so as we look at this, what is the fear of the Lord? And why is this the beginning of wisdom? We need to know that the fear of the Lord is the bridge between what we believe and how we live. And all the Proverbs and wisdom and right living, it's hinged off of and it's built on a foundation of the fear of the Lord. So as we look at other principles in the book of Proverbs moving ahead, we need to know that it is built upon the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let's first examine this fear. What, what fear are we talking about here? That's kind of weird. None of us like to relate our relationship with God to fear. Like, that's not what we were taught. We were taught that it's Jesus with a lamb around its neck, going after, you know, leaves the 99 after the one, right? And he goes and find, we sang about it. And it's the sheep around his neck and everything, and all the children on his lap. You know, we, this is how we pictured God, and this is what we like about God. And it's a, a great attribute of God, right? We don't want to diminish the, his love and all this, but we don't like to relate fear into our relationship with God. So well, what is this fear? Is it, is it like terror? Uh, and we're terrified of God? No, it's not at all. How we, uh, what fear is referring to here is not being terrified of him, but the fear of the Lord might be equally translated to knowledge or love or trust. In chapter 14 in, the, uh, in Proverbs, we see that it says the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And in another place, it says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Another place is the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is this weird tension between how much we love him and this deep love and admiration we have, but also this awe and respect and devotion for him. Think of like a, a, a young child driving in the car with his loving father. And this, there's this deep respect that this child has because the loving father has loved him well or her well and has corrected him or her well and all these different aspects that go into that relationship. And there's this respect and there's this anticipation and there's this excitement to be with daddy in the car. And there's this love and this awe of who dad is. And there's this loving father who serves his child and gives and corrects and protects. This is kind of the picture of the fear of the Lord in which is being referred to. But this isn't natural. It's not a natural state to be in, to fear God in this way. To have this deep love and, and uh, uh, admiration, but then having this tension of awe and respect. It's not natural to be there. We need to be brought to that place. We need to know that God has made us for himself. He's made us in his image. And by our own sin, the way that we've lived our life is that we've forfeited all he has provided for us, and we've forfeited our very own destiny. And this fear that it talks about arises from the discovery for God's love for us. This is why John Newton wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Right? was grace that taught my heart to fear. Not fear to run from you, but this fear to run to you. Here, listen to this quote by P.J. Byes. 
He says, the true fear of God is a childlike fear. It is a combination of holy respect and glowing love. To fear God is to have a heart that is sensitive to both his goodness or his, or his, uh, his godness and his graciousness. It means to experience great awe and deep joy simultaneously when one begins to understand who God really is and what he has done for us. Therefore, the true fear of God is not, is not fear that makes a person run away and flee from God. It is fear that drives him to God. Love for God and fear of him, therefore, are not incompatible. To think that they are is to fail to see the riches of the character of God we worship. It is to ignore the way in which knowing him and all his attributes and responding appropriately to him, it stretches our emotional capacities to their limit. Scripture portrays the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord as companion emotions. Isn't that good? That there's this like tension in which we live in as Christians. That there's this, there's this healthy respect to know his ultimate godness and his absolute authority, but then to know and experience his graciousness. Because it, it, by his grace is where we learn and are brought to that. Fear is trust. It is love. It is obedience. So another thing... We, we should look at is when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. And here's this fear, which is love and respect and this tension we, we walk in, which is this admiration and also uh, uh, having this deep respect. But then there's this, the, the, the fact of, well, who is this Lord or God in which we have this fear of or this, this love of? And so let's look at that really quick, that, that God reveals himself to us uh, in a multitude of ways. But let's just look at four really quick ones about who God is. is. One is that this God that we fear, he is self-existent, which means he's not dependent on anything or anyone to exist. Second is he's the creator and sustainer of everything. That means that he created the universe and that he, right now he's, he's making sure that the orbits of planets are in proper order. And he's the one that gives you your next breath right now. He is the author of life, the creator of everything, and the sustainer of life and everything. Third is that he's immutable in character and being, which means that he doesn't change. He's not like, uh, he doesn't change like shifting shadows in which the Bible says. Or it also says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And fourth is that he's eternal in his existence. He's always been and he always will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So this God in which we fear is far more than just a, a painting of a man with a lamb around his neck. This God is self-existent. He's the creator, the sustainer. He's immutable in character. He is eternal. And when Moses came and he saw that burning bush and and he's going to go to Pharaoh, and, he's, and he says, well, who am I supposed to say who sent me? God says, tell them Yahweh, I am sent you. I am everything, the God of all. And there's only been a few people in the Bible who have seen God. And one of them is the prophet Isaiah. And he gives us one of the uh, best depictions of God himself. And it's really easy to live life 
is kind of this like casual, flippant view of God. That, you know, have you ever heard someone say, like, I can't wait to ask God that when I die? You know, like, we all get to, you know, go up to heaven. And he's like, hey, Nate, what questions you got for me, bud? And we were like, oh, you know, d- d- are dogs up here? He's like, yeah, they're right back here, buddy. Come on in, you know. But we kind of sometimes get this, like, casual view of God that he's just, that's kind of him. And, you know, yeah, God, I, I kind of meet with him for an hour, two to three times a month on Sunday mornings. And we develop this view of God, and so then when we start talking about fearing God, it can be super uncomfortable. Like, I don't like that word or those, those feelings that I have. It's uncomfortable to talk about fearing God, this, this omnipresent, omnit, omnipotent, you know, huge God. It's uncomfortable. And if anyone could have been remotely casual with their relationship with God, it would have been someone like Isaiah, well, because Isaiah was the prophet of God. He was God's mouthpiece to uh, the tribe of Israel. And so all the way to the point where you have to know for certain you were talking with God, he said something, and then you say something. Because we learn in the Old Testament in which if a prophet has just one piece of a, of a prophecy wrong, you're supposed to kill him. And, and so... Here's Isaiah. He speaks with God. He knows God. And if he says anything wrong, they're going to stone him and kill him. And so here's Isaiah. And he gives us this depiction of who God is, this God that, that uh, we, we should fear and love and respect. And it's recorded in Isaiah chapter 6. This is what he says. He says, in, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. Seraphim were like the highest order of the angels in heaven. Like these are the top dogs, right? The seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they were flying. Here's Isaiah, and he walks into this temple, and there's this massive throne, and there's, there's God sitting on it, and there's angels next to him, the, the highest angels, and his whole robe is filling and encompassing the entire temple. That's how big this God is and how awesome he is. And then it, it goes on, it says, and, and the temple was filled with smoke. Like, you just kind of get this depiction of God on this massive throne and angels and smoke and this huge robe in this temple. And then it says, and they were calling out to one another, these angels, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I mean, can you just imagine that here you are, here's this crazy, awesome God, and there's angels, and they're shouting, holy, 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 and they're covering their face, and they're covering their feet, and it's so loud that the doorposts are shaking. I just imagine, you know, like, remember that that uh, playoff beast mode run, Marshawn Lynch, and the whole earth shook because so many people were screaming and yelling and banging their feet. I mean, here's like uh, just a few angels that are creating the same experience that is just lasts forever. There's just shaking and just crazy amount of noise. And you just get this picture of, wow, that's, it's not necessarily like the guy with the, the lamb around his neck. 
And so here's Isaiah, and then we look at how would you respond if you were in that position? What, what type of, of emotion would it create? So we see Isaiah's response. Here's what he says. He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, we don't really use the word woe that much, you know, W-O-E. But another translation of this is to say, like, I'm doomed or I'm damned. Like, God is going to strike me down because he says, for I am a man of unclean lips. He's starting to reflect as, he, as he's there in front of God Almighty. He's starting to reflect on the very words that he spoke that were unclean. And that he was even just around people who spoke unclean words. And so here he is and he goes, I am doomed. God is going to strike me down. Then it says, then one of the seraphim flew over to, over to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Here's this really great picture, I think, of fear of the Lord. Because here's Isaiah and he has this ridiculous experience. And then through that, he, he experiences that, uh, how unclean he is. Because here's these angels, they're covering their face and their feet and they're flying. And here's the highest angels in heaven. And they don't even feel like they're holy enough for God to look upon them. So they cover their entire body. And here's these angels that are like, I don't even want God to look upon me. And here's Isaiah and he goes, I'm, I'm unclean. And look at God and who he is, how holy he is. But then God says, I take your guilt away. And your sin is atoned for. And then there's this tension of like, there's that God, but how much he loves me. What he's done for me. When we fear God, we accept the consequence of where our sin would have led us to that our sin would have led us to separation from God, that, that God is just and he is fair and he has the authority and it would be a, a just thing to do to strike us down. But in replace of that, instead of that, he sends his son Jesus to die in place of our sin so that we can be in relationship with him forever. We have to accept the consequence of where sin would have led us if it wasn't for God's love for us. Without it, we begin to make excuses for our sin. We live with pride. What is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right. And that's not what God wants for us. Here's what J. Gresham Machem says, a wonderful Princeton theologian. He says, the Christian must fear God, but it is another kind of fear. It is a fear rather of what might have been than what is. It is a fear of what would come were we not in Christ. Without such fear, there can be no true love, for love of the Savior is proportioned to one's horror of that from which man has been saved. This is the fear that we see displayed where Isaiah writes. 
The fear of the Lord is not knowledge about God. It is knowledge about the relationship with God. The knowledge of the reality of God and all his grace, he didn't have to save us. But God in all his glory and infinite character, he decided to show the world how much he loved us all by coming down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and paying the penalty of our own sinfulness. That God that Isaiah recorded wants to have a relationship with you and me, the creator and sustainer of everything. That God in that throne room loves you, he cares for you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And because we have not lived right, and we have not lived just, and we have not lived fairly, and we were born into evil and sin, he could have not, but he loves you so much that he did. This is the good news of the Bible. And without truly fearing him, well, just our accomplishments, they become ours. The good things that happen in life, it's because I made them happen. I deserve it. I deserve that. And without fear, pride gets in the way. This is why fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, because if you don't have that, everything's predicated upon that. If you don't have this you know, authentic fear of the Lord, this love and respect of him, how can you really develop any true understanding, meaning, knowledge, or wisdom? It is the beginning, because it, the fear of the Lord is the controlling principle. All else is built upon this foundation. Everything we'll look in Proverbs is built upon this one controlling principle, which is this healthy awe and respect for God that he didn't have to save us, but he loved us so much so that we might love the Lord our God with our entire mind, soul, heart, and strength. By nature, I'm not interested in God. By nature, I'm a sinful person. And the mere fact that I'm interested in God and his goodness, it's because of God's goodness that he's seeking us out. Without God's grace, my own pride would keep me from knowing him and fearing him and loving him and experiencing him. I recently read uh, through the book Mere Christianity again, and this one thing came to mind out of the, the chapter in the book, uh, The Great Sin, if you've uh, ever read this. This is what C.S. Lewis talks about. He says, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Our own pride gets in our own way to see God, to fear him, and to love him. This is why it is the beginning. Because everything else, if we ever gained any other knowledge or wisdom or insight, it would, we would want to think it was our own pride. Our own pride would say that it was because we figured it out, not because of God's goodness that he graciously gave it to us. So in light of all of this, here's the writer of Proverbs, and he writes us this invitation an invitation to embrace wisdom, an invitation to live right, an invitation to leave your sin and your foolishness behind you, an invitation to fear the Lord and to live in, in accordance to this. So here this, the writer gives us this invitation in Proverbs 9, which kind of springboards 
us into the rest of this series. This is what he writes. He writes, wisdom has built her house. She's set up seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And then here we get this repeated again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, or we could say in parentheses of wisdom, if you're a mocker of wisdom, you alone will suffer. Here's this invitation to come. Wisdom has built her house. Come sit at the table and gain everything that God has for you. And remember, there's three people in Proverbs. There's the wise, there's the foolish, and there's the simple. And the wise embrace the fear of the Lord. They hear the call, and they come and sit at the table. And they learn, and they gain understanding. They embrace this, and they intentionally live based off of it. The fear of the Lord is nothing to be terrified, but the fear of the Lord to the wise is a warm blanket around their life. It is protection. It is understanding that he has me. He guides me. He leads me. And I'm under the very watch of the sovereign God of the universe. So the wise man or woman walks in and embraces the fear of the Lord. And they live intentionally because of him. Their life is different in the way that they consider their marriage, in the way that they consider their finances, in the way they consider their friendships, or the way they, how they make decisions, how they live their life, the way they consider parenting or dating, all the various aspects, they live intentionally through it. Their life has purpose, direction, intentionality. It's marked by usefulness. It's marked by a life moving towards purpose because they've embraced the reality of the fear of the Lord. They know that through the cross, Jesus Christ, they've been redeemed, reconciled, and invited in. And because of that, their lives will never be the same. So the wise embrace the fear of the Lord. They live intentionally. But the fool dismisses the fear of the Lord. And they live aimlessly without him. You see, the fool has considered the fear of the Lord and has literally chosen the absolute statement that I'm the captain of my own ship. I am the sovereign one over my soul. My way is the right way. And I will do it within my strength and within my energy. And I will do it for my own glory. You've got the wise who embraces the fear. And they live intentionally. And you've got the fool who dismisses the fear and lives aimlessly without. And then you have the simple. And remember, the simple is not like I've simplified my life or I'm not intellectually there. The proverb says that essentially this person is very impressionable, very, inf- very influenced by the people around them. It's kind of like a chameleon that when they come into church, they're worshiping and they're raising their hands and they shape into that. And then when they're, you know, with their friends Friday night, they shape into that. And they could be doing something completely counterintuitive to what the Bible would say. 
The simple is very impressionable. They don't even consider the fact of the fear of the Lord, and they live passively forgetting it. It's like, who cares? Who, who even needs it? And they're influenced very easily. They're, they're passive, they're weak, and they're not discerning. Kind of their right, left, doesn't matter. There's no real absolute truth. The picture of the simple is the one who just drifts through life, and whichever way the current flows, they flow. They're impressionable from everyone. They hang out with these people who are strong in their faith, and they hang out with these people who are weak in their faith, and they just shape and form to whoever they're around. There's no anchor for their soul. There's no conviction. There's no guiding reality. And there's no grid by which they think through or understand the truths of the Bible. Now, within this one invitation, we all find ourselves somewhere. We all find ourselves in relation to the wise, the fool, or the simple. And the call is the same. The wise come in. The foolish abandon it. And the simple do what they want. And let me invite you right now. Invite you to come sit at the table of God and all his wisdom and understanding and knowledge. To fear him, his awesome love for you. That you can live in accordance of his words. And as we press through this series in Proverbs, to come and sit at the table. To learn, to gain wisdom and insight that you might live rightly, justly, fairly, and have a fear of the Lord that guides you in your life, in your actions, that you live intentionally by it, and that the very people around you are affected because you are a person who fears God and that you live intentionally by it. I know I want to lead my family that way. I want to lead people that way. I want to have friendships that are centered around that. I don't want to be caught in the streets when, when God is crying out, come and sit at the table of wisdom, and I find myself in a completely foolish place in life, when all the while, he's saying, you don't have to live that way. Here you can live, and you'll live rightly and fairly. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for who you are. God, we just look to you and your awesome, amazing godness. Lord, we know that you have absolute authority, that you are a God to be feared, respected, and loved. Lord, might we live lives in accordance to that. By your grace, Lord, you taught my heart to fear that I might run to you and not away from you. God, we pray this in your most precious name. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Nate. What a great reminder that uh, we really need to pursue God to, to receive his wisdom in our lives. Thank you for that, Nate. Appreciate that. this morning. Would you go ahead and stand up with me, please? I hope that you guys all have a great rest of your weekend. Don't forget, if this is your first time here today or you've been coming for a couple of weeks, you want to meet somebody, I'll be right under this monitor over here. I'd love the chance to meet you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you guys next week.